Welcome to the Surveyor Hub podcast, brought to you by Blue Box Partners, the only show dedicated to small business residential surveyors and valuers, created by surveyors for surveyors. In every episode, you'll learn something new about the vibrant and thriving industry of residential surveying. We don't mind what flavor of surveyor you are or what level of experience you might have. If you're in the business of helping people with their homes, this is the community for you. So today I've got Natasha Collins from NC Real Estate. Hello, Natasha. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, really good to have you on. It's been a little while since we spoke. I was trying to think when it was. You've moved continents since then, (laughs) possibly. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think maybe back end of 2018 early 2019 potentially been a while I know we've we've caught up in between like on social media but I don't think we've seen each other in a while oh you look the same you haven't aged or anything so (laughs) 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 as a compliment so listen so listen uh for those of uh surveyors and training surveyors listening and who who don't know you do you introduce yourself yes okay So I'm Natasha Collins. I am a chartered surveyor. I specialize in asset management, property management, property investment strategy and lease advisory. That's my thing. I run my own firm of surveyors, which is NC Real Estate. It's completely online firm of surveyors now. And the whole idea of it is to help landlords and property investors, but the smaller landlords and property investors, build property portfolios that align with their goals in the most efficient way possible. And so I host a lot of programs. I have a members club. It's honestly, it's completely aligned with the way that I want to do surveying. And it's a lot of fun. And then on the side, I also lecture at the University College of Estate Management. And I run the postgraduate and the undergraduate property management modules. And I'm also a property investor as well. So I have my own portfolio, get involved in that. I have portfolios over here, uh, properties in the US and in the UK. Which sounds really busy and amazing. So let's start with, how did you start out as a surveyor? Did you always want to be a surveyor? No, I had no idea about being a surveyor. I didn't know what being a surveyor was. And in my third year of my undergraduate degree, which I did in geography and computing, I had to take a job as an admin assistant in a letting agent because I completely run out of money. And so to get myself out of that, I just applied for every single job because I knew that I needed money. I got that job based upon the fact that I was the only person who handed in a CV that was spelled completely correctly. And the guy was like, seeing as you can spell, you can have the job. And through that, I met a chap called Paul Flood, who'd come into the letting office because he needed somewhere to rent. It was a really heavy snow that winter. He needed something for an insurance claim. Couldn't find him anything. He said to me, Natasha, I really like, you know, how enthusiastic you are about things. Do you want to come babysit for my kids? I needed money. My mom was like, do not go and babysit for strange people's kids. I was like, mom, I need that 20 pounds. I'm going. I'll just tell you where I am. So I went. And he was then asking me, and he, his family were lovely. It was all fine. He, he was then saying to me, Natasha, what are you doing when you leave university? And I said, I have no idea. I've been applying for jobs. This was 20, 2009, so deep in the recession. No one's offering me anything. I don't know what I'm going to do. Probably just going to go traveling. And he said to me, have you ever thought of being a surveyor? 
I was like, I don't know what surveyor is. And that was where I got introduced to it. He was like, go away, go and do some research on being a surveyor. I think you'd probably be pretty good at it. You've got the attitude for it. You're already in property. You know some of it. Let me know when you come back and babysit again. So then I went back and babysat again. I was like, sure, I'd want to be a surveyor. Not still not really knowing what it was because I'd be on the RACS website, but there's so many types of surveyors. And he was like, okay, look, there's an opportunity coming up in London. Let me put you in for the interview. See how you get on with the um, chap that owns the firm. If you do, great. You know, you've got a job in London. If not, it's fine. Up to you. And that was how I became a surveyor. So that was a big move then, moving from Bristol to... Uh, it was Worcester. 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 Okay, yeah. I was at Worcester University in Worcester. London. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was in for. I did not know what was coming. But, you know, I think I think sometimes, you you know, it's not necessarily about being young, but you have to take that leap of faith. Mm-hmm. You know, I, when I did my degree and I got a graduate job, I moved from North Wales to Birmingham. Now, that doesn't sound very far, but culturally, and the language as well, was quite different. I've never really, God, I'm so old now, but I'd never really driven on a motorway. Not really, not not a lot, because we didn't didn't need them or use them in in Wales. Oh, it sounds like such a, a yokel, <laughs> you know. But it was that you just take a big leap of faith. And I had terrible homesick in Birmingham, and on my next placement was in London. And I thought I'd give myself six weeks, and I can say I've done it. Mm-hmm. And it turned out to be a great six weeks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you just got to go for it. But it would have been so easy to say, "Oh, it's all a bit scary." And I don't know what I'm going to do. And where do I live? And, you know, there's some big decisions, isn't there? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Huge decisions that come from it. I was very fortunate in that my boss at the time had a spare flat going. So I landed in a really good location, like really nice. I uh, It was in Parsons Green in Fulham. And I'd landed on my feet completely and... He, we worked out an inclusive salary with my rent and what I was getting paid. So actually, it kind of worked out okay. And it was, I mean, as a 21 year old, my gosh, like I was put in charge so much. So So did you, so did you start, you started with the company, you then they put you on the APC program then, or how, what happened? Oh, so. Paul, the chap that I met in Worcester, that was where I was at university, he had said to me, Natasha, the minute you start, you need to be thinking about becoming a charter surveyor. I don't know how it's going to work for you because you've not got a regulated degree, but please start. And I got to London and it was very overwhelming. And there was no way that I was going to be able to start doing my APC because I didn't know how to be a property manager, let alone cover my job and start studying. I had no idea. And then... What also happened was very early on, within three months of me starting this job, my line manager left and I was given the job of the head of department. <laughs> it was just overwhelming to say the least, absolutely mm. overwhelming. So I had no time to think about, do I want to get my APC? What do I want to do around that? Because I was trying to learn all of this new stuff on the job trying to find new friends and a new place, trying to make myself look like I knew what I was doing. And more often than not, I was just kind of bumbling around in a new situation. That's the best way to learn, I think. Just get thrown into it. Yeah. I didn't start my master's until 2012. So that was two years into the job. 
And then... So that was Masters in Surveying, was it? Masters in Surveying was University College of Estate Management, but accredited by Reading at the time. And I was doing that in the evenings. And then I was also trying to do my APC alongside and there was no formal APC training plan because it was such a small firm. There was only six of us in the firm. They didn't really have time to do that kind of thing. And it was, you just go and learn that on your own. And that's that's not uncommon with a lot of small firms where you're just left to it effectively. And it's not that people necessarily don't care, but they just don't know when they've got other other priorities. I was quite lucky with my APC and that I joined the company. It was a corporate company, but there was a big focus on becoming tech. Uh, was it tech or ICS? I think it was at the time. And I'd had, I joined them for three months valuation experience just to get me over the line to get my APC. I ended up staying there for 15 years. And that's a, another story for a glass of wine. But I was one of six and we created our own study group and just went mm-hmm. through. And, and you know, anybody who has studied part-time in the evening, I so admire them. And whenever I've been recruiting, those are the people that I look for because it's hard, but you build amazing resilience through that and you've got to be so committed and it's hard to keep your eye on the prize and the vision of where you want to be and you question yourself is this where I want to be you know uh, and all of that but it's it, it's um yeah it just it, it showed you're made of good stuff I think good message mm-hmm. well you have to be tough to get through it and hats off to people who are doing that with having kids mm-hmm. and other things going on my gosh that probably would have broken me at the time I mm-hmm. think so you got through your APC. Tell me about your well. Tell me about your APC experience. Mm. I had a really tough time going through my APC because I'd taken too much on, which is standard for me. Seemingly, I, <laughs> I do everything all the time. Um, so I, I put a lot of pressure on myself to get myself through the APC process, and it was not healthy. I was not doing it in a healthy way. I had decided that I had to be perfect at everything and my OCD kicked in that I had to keep going. And that's one of my my downfalls is because I tend to mentally get in my headspace where my perfect life has to look like X. So if I'm not doing X, Y, and Z consistently, I'm letting myself down. And it's something that I've always struggled with. And it takes a long time for me to realize that I'm in that situation before I have to get myself out of it. So I was studying for my master's and I was head of the property management. I had a massive portfolio. I was also on secondment half a day, every day to another estate. So I was running their commercial portfolio in the morning, still running the portfolio that I was on in the afternoon. And in the morning, I was like, right, to get in the mind, the headspace, because I've been doing a lot of research about it, I have to go to the gym. So I would be in the gym for an hour. I'd then get to my first desk at 8.30 in the morning and then I'd get to my second desk for one o'clock and I would just work right the way through. And then I'd be like, well, I have to relax after finishing work. So I'd walk home. So that would be three hours, walk home, no, three miles, walk home. And then I would study in the evening and I would just do that consistently for, it was about three and a half years I was doing that. And I was sleeping six, seven hours a night, not really sleeping. And when you're exercising that much, you need to recover. But no, for me, that wasn't, you know, that wasn't something I was going to take on. 
And now it's like, well, I'm also going to train for a half marathon, you know, because in all that additional time that I've got. Look at Natasha, looking yeah. back now. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm here resisting saying, do you know how crazy that sounds? But I know when you're, you're in it, it's, it's very, very different. But how do you feel about yourself where you are now and, and looking back? Oh, that's a very good question. I actually stumbled across some of those pictures from around 2013, 2014 the other day just look gaunt and just tired and I was really making myself very unwell and I didn't realize and I didn't realize until I went to my APC the first time and I couldn't answer any of the questions I just felt like I was being attacked and like someone was going after me for the fact that I wasn't good enough and I just had a breakdown halfway through the first of my APC I didn't know even know how to get home afterwards I called my dad I was like I don't know where I am he's like what (laughs) I just tried to take my APC and I couldn't. And now I need to go home and I don't know how to get home. And I realized at that point that I'd kind of, I'd worked myself too hard and was breaking myself. Now, looking back from there to now, I still get in the same cycle, but I can catch it far earlier than I could because that was three to four years of doing that. And that's too much. It's too much. Like I was just really and what not about, healthy. What about, I mean, so me... So, so two instincts come. One is sort of that motherly instinct. And the other one is, well, as a line manager, you can see those things happening, you know, and we have a responsibility to look after everybody in our team and to see Natasha turning into a power woman and turning grey. And I recognise that. And I, you know, I've seen it with other people. I recognise it in myself, though not in the same way, but that feeling of just being absolutely exhausted you look grey. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how much blusher or bronzer you put on. You still look washed out. It's that kind of <laughs> grey. And you see that. But how can we? How does that happen? You know, as a, I mean, it's just not the kind. It says a lot about the culture. I think that we work in. It does. Now, the other thing that was going on during that time when my parents were divorcing, and my mum really took just a downhill spiral. So there wasn't really anybody who at that time knew me well enough and those who did I was not listening to to be able to be like what are you doing to yourself and in the office that I was working in it was the norm to be busy to be stressed to be overworked to be exercising to also be able to hold your drink to go out networking you know it was almost like a badge of honor yeah busyness badge of honor to Mm. be able to do all of that I look back now and I, I tell you one of the most embarrassing things I did during that time. And I'm embarrassed myself. Like it wasn't anybody else's choice. I had to go to hospital to have a colposcopy one day. And I don't know if you've ever had one, but it's freaking painful because as a woman, women, we have to go and have our cervical screenings. Ladies, go get it because mm-hmm. you need to have that checked out. They're painful when you go and have them done because you have to go into hospital and have them done. I marched myself back to my desk afterwards because I thought I had to continue working and I'd been told by the director that I couldn't have the afternoon off. I went back to work. I lay on my desk crying because I was in pain. I wanted to go home. And that was embar- that's embarrassing for me to do that, right? Mm. That's not like That should have been a sign at the time what are you doing to yourself? And still, it pushed it and pushed it and pushed it. 
So how did you, you know, so yeah, okay, you had this APC incident. How did you break out of that? What changed? So around after I'd finished my, after I'd done my APC, I was just angry. I was angry at everything. And luckily someone at the RICS, I cannot for the life of me remember who it was, picked up on the fact that I'd... You might be a little bit stressed. Yeah. (laughs) And put me in contact with Lionheart. And Lionheart picked up on it straight away that I was not acting normally. And they didn't know me. They did not know me or who I was, but I phoned them. And I remember phoning them and being like, I don't know how I can cope with everything that's going on anymore. And they were like, okay, Natasha, we're here. We're going to support you. And they started me on a round of counselling. And the counselling was all around being kind to yourself and it's okay. And I didn't have to do as much as like I was doing. But when I didn't do it, I felt guilty that I wasn't doing all of these things. And doing that and doing my APC six months later was a completely different experience because I'd stopped revising. They were like, just stop, get your dissertation in for your master's, hand that in and let's stop. You're a good surveyor. All this revising and all of this crazy trying to overachieve is not getting you anywhere. Let's take a different approach. And it can never be as bad as it was last time. So even if you went in, you didn't revise and you failed like, or you got referred, it can never be as bad as what you experienced previously. So that took the fear away. Six months later, I went and did my APC and was absolutely fine. You know, mm. I was a good surveyor. It was never a question that I wasn't a good surveyor. The question was, I wasn't looking after myself. And that was the crux of the problem. But that wasn't the be all and end all. That didn't stop it. That was just, you know, someone helping me through that aspect of my life. Mentally, I have to pick myself up and be like, you're in a cycle of decline. Please go and like sort it out. Stop trying to overachieve. It's re- I, I see this a lot with surveyors the overachieving, the am I an expert or not? Am I good enough or not? Imposter syndrome, a lot. And it's not just women. I see that with this with a lot of surveyors. And I guess it's the, in part, this culture of, yes, you know, you've got to beat your desk. Although let's face it, it's 2020. The world's just changed that. But also as an organization, you know, RICS as an organization, it is about standards, you know, there's measuring all all things. You know, it's about standards. It's about getting it right. And so we're wired for that in our personalities and and with the way that we the way that we work. And it's really, I mean, obviously there's a reason for that. I'm not saying anyone shouldn't meet meet the standard, mm. but there's standards of work and there's the standards in the way that we live our lives. Yeah, and also for some reason we're conditioned that we're going to be sued on the back of everything. Do you find mm. that? This is absolutely, absolutely <laughs> mentality that if we don't do X, Y, and Z, someone's coming after us. I lived lived in fear of that for many, many years. One of the things I talk about in my um, in my coaching is is about the is about your motivation. Mm. You know, to do anything, you've got a motivation towards or away from. And it's a bit like, you know, after Christmas, you want to go on a diet. So I want to be thin because I don't want to be large or fat. And so you'll say, right, I'm going on a diet and I'm going to eat dust, 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 and lettuce. And all of a sudden, woohoo, those genes fit and your motivation drops because it's not been a, it's been a, you know, I don't want to be, it's an away from motivation. 
And then you start eating all the goodies and the booze and, and then your jeans don't fit again. And that's when you get into this sort of yo-yo effect. Whereas a motivation towards is more about well-being. It's about, I want to be healthy and have energy rather than I want to be skinny and fit in those those jeans that will only ever fit posh spice. It's about that motivation towards, but it's really it's a really hard concept to get our, our heads around sometimes. And it seems so simple, but it's the same with our work. That fear of being sued means that in our reports, we put standard paragraphs galore in so that it's a not an easy report to read and it can actually backfire rather than how can I do the best job that I can as a surveyor with this service, this product? How can I do the best for my customer within these rules and framework? And standards, rules, guidance, so that they should be there to support us, not like a cage around us. And it's something that with my background in claims, valuation and defect claims, and I see that a lot that I was following the rules. So actually, you weren't following the rules. You were too scared of the rules was the difference. And sometimes, you know, the rules don't quite fit and we need to call it out. And we need to say that doesn't work or it's a special assumption or you know, and and it's about having the wisdom to know when the rules fit and when the rules don't. But you're right, there's a lot of surveyors there who, who work in fear and nobody wants to do that. Absolutely. No, and it's fine for us to have our opinion. The future of this industry is going to be based on innovation. There is no two ways about it. Over the last six months, this industry has changed beyond recognition. We've got to do things differently. So if you think that whatever your your practice was six months ago, it doesn't work anymore. And it's okay to say that. Sometimes I say things to my clients and I'm like, we just have to give it a go. We find our way out of situations, but we have to give something a go. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not an expert on something, I can't advise on it, but I could kind of see like a direction forward and be like, let's give it, go and try it. What have you got to lose at this moment in time? You know, things have got bad, especially in the commercial property market. If you've got a tenant that's not paying rent, well, that's the worst that was going to happen to you, right? So how can you grow on that? And maybe now my role has changed slightly, but that's, I'm trying to, to do the best that I can for my clients because that's what they hold they hire me for. It sounds like you got a lot of inspiration from that initial coaching and counselling that you got from Lionheart. This is how bad it can be. It can only yeah. <laughs> get better. What if, Yeah, you get to a point where, what have you got to lose? And like, you've just got to make the best of a situation. But also, I mean, you'll have seen it from, from working for other people. And as you were just talking about, we get maybe put together these reports that don't really make sense when all your client want is really what you ever you put in the executive summary. Mm. Right. And if you can back up where that information came from, why would you be afraid of telling someone Mm. to do that? Tell me about your journey to work for yourself then. So you had this interesting experience working for a a business. What motivated you to work for yourself? Oh, I think it was a combination of things things the burnout situation did not get any better after completing my APC you know it was you cannot get over burnout instantly just by stopping whatever you were doing like Mm. I have to say that it takes time you have to decompress you have to change the way you're thinking and your beliefs around things and that takes time and I was tired very very tired and I finally passed my APC in 2015 I did not start working for myself until September 2016. And 
the reason that I ended up working for myself then is because in August 2016, one morning I couldn't get out of bed and I was so tired. And I said to Chris, my now husband, I was like, Chris, text my boss and say I'm ill. I'm not, I can't move. I don't know what's wrong with me. I cannot get on the train this morning and, or I can't cycle to work. I can't do anything. I just can't move. And he was like, you're all right. So I don't think so, but it's fine. And I had a doctor's appointment that day. And doctors was only, you know, a 10 minute walk up the road. It took me half an hour, 45 minutes to drag myself there that day. And I got into, it was just a routine checkup. And the nurse said to me, what's up with you? And I said, I can't really move. She went, what do you mean? I said, just can't be bothered anymore. Like, I don't, you know, I don't know. She was like, stop, wait here. I'm getting the GP. Went and got the GP. GP sat me down. She talked to me. She was like, she went through my lifestyle. She was going through everything. She said, sounds to me like you have taken everything you've done way too far and this is your body telling you that it's not doing it with you anymore and I was like okay fine I said but I've got to go back to work she said you're not going back to work today tomorrow morning you're coming in for blood tests and if you don't phone your boss and tell him that I'm going to phone your boss and tell him that give me your boss's phone number I was like oh no and so the next morning she does blood tests. She then calls me up, calls me back in about a week later. And she says, Natasha, you've got two options. I sign you off for stress for the next six months. You go sort yourself out. You go and hand in your notice. And me not wanting to show weakness, I was like, I'm going to hand in my notice and do something on my own for a while. And that was the bit that pushed me into starting my own business and um, knowing that I had to make a change. So it wasn't it wasn't necessarily a great, like, it wasn't like, yes, I've left my job. I'm going to start my own business. It was, I have to change what's going on in my life to make sure that I feel better about it. You know, all of this sort of sounds so extreme, but it, I know it's not. And I know that there are surveyors that I've come across who refuse to take a sick day, won't take any time yeah. off with stress because it's seen as a weakness. Mm-hmm. I was the same. Would not take so any ta- time off. So tell me about your business. So you tell me about NC Real Estate because I followed your work for a few, for a couple of years and it's enthusiastic, it's inspiring. You know, I don't much know much about the the asset management side of things, but it's just been really a breath of fresh air, I think I'd describe it. You know? So so tell tell me a bit about your business and how and how that's grown and changed. Okay, so my business, I was like, what do I want the industry to look like? And what do I want my business to be like? What do I like to feel like? I love community. There is nothing better for me than having a good chat, putting the world to rights and being like, yes, I feel completely inspired to do something. I wanted a firm that lifted people up because what I was seeing in the industry at the time around 2016 was people just cutting corners left, right and centre. And I hate the thought that you would think it's okay to put your tenants in horrendous accommodation, regardless of whether it's commercial or residential. And then your property manager says to you, look, no, I need a little bit more money to be able to put these tenants in good accommodation. And then they will pay quite happily because they want to be here. This is why they've taken a lease from you. But there was so much sidestepping around that. And I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I think we need to change. And then I was also going to property investment networking events 
And it was just completely unregulated rubbish that they were being told at these events. In one event I went to, they were slagging off surveyors. And I was like, I am a surveyor. I stood up and left. I was like, we're not the enemy. We're all in the property industry. Everybody has to work together. But that did, but that was kind of a bit like, okay, I'm going to bridge the gap between the regulated side of things, the unregulated side of things, and we're going to have fun doing it. And that was where NC Real Estate came from. And it very, I didn't know what it was going to look like. I'd never run my own firm before. I kind of didn't know who I was following or anybody in the industry who'd done something similar. So I was starting from scratch. I was asking people for advice who didn't really know about the property industry. The RICS didn't really know what it was that I was trying to do. They were kind of supportive of it, but couldn't explain it myself. And it's changed a lot over the last couple of years. In 2017, I had the idea of setting up a members club, which was great, where landlords and property investors just pay a subscription fee and then we give them content and we meet up and like that kind of thing that's fantastic I then started doing a bit of consultancy as well so around the property management and the asset management and what I realized was that people were not getting support or honest advice that was one of the biggest things that blew my mind people would come to me and say well someone's told me to do x y and z and I'd say to them do you actually enjoy doing that And they'd go, no, but that's the strategy that this trainer has told me to do. And that's the only thing I can do. And I'm like, "Mm, really? You know, there's so many options. There's so many ways around things. There's so many ways to negotiate on things that if you actually think about what your end goal is and work back from that, there are so many different routes that we can take to get there. And we can have fun with that. You get to buy properties that you enjoy owning. Why would you buy something that you're doesn't light you up what's the point there's no point like because you have to live with this asset for the next however long you're keeping the asset for (laughs) so if you want to be in property and you want to invest in property I mean granted these large estates and the large pension pots and the investment portfolios I get it you have your hierarchy and you go to board meetings you all make a decision about what you want to buy I get it that's one side of the industry My side of the industry is investors who want to buy property that they want to enjoy, that they want to hold on and leave a legacy for their children. And I firmly believe that in order to do that successfully, we have to have fun with it, regardless of what you're outsourcing. Because if you're not enjoying this, what is the point? Put it in, put your money into stocks and shares and just leave it. And I can't advise on that, but you know, you want a hands-off investment, there you go, it's right there for you. So that's where NC Real Estate (laughs) came from. And you know that that really that really resonates with me in terms of the Surveyor Hub, the Surveyor Hub community that I run. And it's a real strong theme in the in the small business mastermind of, you know, you don't have to take any job. Just like you don't have to take any property and you don't have to feel pressured to. You get to choose the clients that you work with or the tenants that you bring in, you get to choose the kind of jobs that you want to do. And guess what? You can make money doing that and enjoy it. And there seems to be this mindset that earning money is hard work. And I'm not saying it's it's easy to earn to not earn money, but hard work as in it's painful, you know, but you can and you can enjoy it and you do get a choice. I see that a lot. Do you get many surveyors who are investors? But not as many as, not as many as I thought I would, but I definitely do. But again, it's like surveyors don't seem to trust their ability in the industry. 
Like, yeah, you? see this see this is where my uh this is where my imposter syndrome comes out. And I've always not been anti property investment, but early on in my career I dealt with quite a few property repossessions. And there is nothing worse than going into a property, you know, with the police that have just broken down the door and the bailiff's there and someone's ready to change the locks and you've got to go and value it. And you walk into the kitchen, there's the kiddies breakfast still on the table, warm and the telly and the goldfish and, and things. And that sort of mindset was that uh, these people couldn't afford it, but actually then a vulture would come and buy that property and take over and, you know, that landlords were a bad thing. And I guess it might have just been the patch I was working in and the, and the, you know, the what was going in the market at the time. But it's something that I've always thought, oh, is that a bad thing to do? Should we be doing that? Would I be any good at it? I don't think I would. But it's absolutely all about mindset and getting the right support. Absolutely. Yeah. And I also feel like if you do it well, there's a place in the market for you. I've seen some terrible landlords. I'm not going to work with them. If, if your idea of renting out property is literally just filling it to the brim of people and not living up to standards. Not on my time. I'm not having that. But it's just, you have to treat everybody with respect. And there's a respect for the standard of living that you're putting someone in. Now, there's always a rental market. And I know there's a rental market. What we live in right now, this is a rental. I don't live in the property that I own at the moment. That's okay, because we like to be transient and we like to move around. So there's always going to be that, markets when you think that the people living in your house in your homes are beneath you they are not they Mm. are not they have a purpose and a reason for being there the same as you have a purpose and reason for being in your home you are then providing them with a standard of service that means they can operate how they want to operate and they can have access to the things that they want to have access to and your job is to provide them the best the safest the cleanest space in order for them to do that and it's that towards motivation again, isn't it? How, how best can you serve you serve people? Tell me about um, your podcast. The NZ podcast. The NZ podcast, yeah. <laughs> My favourite. That has been going for years. And that just stemmed from me just wanting to rant about what was going on in the industry and tell the truth and interview people that you know, I wanted to interview at the time and have those conversations. And that just grew. That started off very small. And I didn't really put any advertising behind it. But I was like, if you want to hear my voice and you want to hear what I sound like, anything goes on this podcast. This is a place for me, a place for you to get to know me and what makes me tick and what makes me really annoyed. Um, and it just it just grew from there and over the last couple of years since getting it produced professionally and changing hosting that's really taken off and I enjoy it it's an outlet for me to be able to be like this is what I believe in the industry is good and this is what I believe is bad connect with the people that I connect with connect with me listen to what I'm doing and have a get a bit of honesty because there's a lot of people who post stuff out there. I speak to a lot of my peers and a lot of people in the industry who are like, well, so-and-so saying that they're doing X, Y, and Z on social media. And I said to them, let me tell you, it's probably BS because people like to tell you all of this great stuff that's going on on social media. Then they caveat it with posts like, oh, and this has gone wrong in my 
life and you're like okay so you've just done that to show the pros and the cons fine I don't care like everybody's got a social media profile but sometimes you need to have an outlet where it's just you being you and this is what I believe in and this is what I don't believe take me or leave me and it's a it's a it's a different media you know Mm -hmm. so not everybody's on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn even and when I started the, the this podcast it was really to try and reach out to surveyors who who weren't on social media and who would be in their cars listening to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, hello, if you're listening. But then lock, then COVID happens and everybody mm. listens to this walking their dog, mostly. <laughs> but it was a different way to, to reach people. And I have to say, I absolutely love doing these podcasts. I just mm-hmm. get to chat to people, find out about their lives. And most of it is relevant, you know, to, to the audience. Mm. But it's a, just a different way of engaging. And I see now... Maybe not so much because of COVID and the pandemic and things, but you, we are seeing more surveyors do more things in terms of you know, having YouTube channels or, um, you know, sort of doing more on social media, mm-hmm. you know, with, with Twitter and Facebook and things. And it's interesting to see how they, they're exploring. And there's no right or wrong. I think whatever you do, you've just got to do it authentically, you know, because mm-hmm. people absolutely just see through it. If you're not genuine in whatever you're saying or doing or selling, people just just see through it, you know. So, um, so yeah. So you so you've had quite a career. You've grown the membership, but we're talking, and you're in a different continent. Tell us about your move abroad. <laughs> so currently, at the time of recording this, we're in New York. Two years ago, my husband got offered his dream job in New York it's what he wanted to do and so we picked up our life in London and we moved to New York which has been a kind of a roller coaster of it's very difficult to explain when you're in it because it wasn't my first choice to move to New York and everybody's like, oh my gosh, Natasha, I love the opportunity to move to New York. But it's very hard when you've set up a brand in the UK to then have to pick that up, mm-hmm. put it online, show that you're super confident in doing that and being like, do you know what? I, I've got this. And that was the biggest hurdle for me to get over moving to New York was the fact that I wasn't on the ground anymore. Well, I... I know what's going on. I keep myself informed, but I wasn't as accessible. So I had to change all that around. We move out here. It's a very different environment. Surveying is very different out here. I was told by the RICS Americas that my qualification in the UK didn't translate in America. And I was like, all right. right. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> That's useful. Um, but I couldn't work out here anyway because I couldn't get the visa. I still can't work out here. So helpful um but my husband has a working visa out here for five years and as his spouse I get a spousal visa so I'm out here with him we picked up everything from London moved it to New York and I just set about networking with people that I wanted to network with and just kind of see what was what was going on I'm lucky lucky in a way firstly that we bought our dog because summer is the reason that I met so many people because when you're out dog walking people chat to you and then you chat back and then you build this community and I built a community of uh, people who own dogs so I met loads of people I met my 
JV partner for who I do um, doing a development with in New Jersey. And that was just because we met via Instagram and he had come from London as well, but many years ago. And he was like, Natasha, I've been following you on the social media. Now that you're in New York, can we meet up? And it took me months to be like, yeah, okay, that's normal. But then when we did, we got on like a house on fire. And then 12 months later, we were like, okay, let's do a development together. My podcast producer, the guy that owned the podcast studio, was like, Natasha, if you just moved to New York, he, got, he emailed me and he was like, you need to come and record at our studio. I was listening to your podcast from the UK and I'm like, really? And so then I found a podcast studio and I started building this community and it's been fantastic. Now, this year has been slightly harder because of COVID and pandemic and obviously the political turmoil that's going on. Mm. We have been stuck in the US because if we go home our visa gets cancelled based upon the new immigration rules that Trump's put in that's stressful there's a lot has happened in the UK that I wish I'd been able to come home for I really wish I'd been able to come for it's been it's been a tough year with people I've had new nephews and nieces and nephews but also people dying and we've had to sit over here and we've had to watch funerals from New York and that's tough like really tough but there's no flights out so it's kind of it's it's a strange old world I don't I don't quite like I don't know how to explain it I guess you made the you know you you look for the opportunities what amazing an an opportunity to not only to be able to move but also to be able to run your business you know, and to continue, and not only that, but to thrive and to for it to grow, and you make the best of where you're you're at and, and what you're what you're dealt with. But also, I think it's a real a real mindset that just because you live and work in the UK means that your work is only in the UK. Now, I know a lot of surveyors listening to this podcast will be residential surveyors who go into UK properties to value them and you know, inspect them, and you know the whole lockdown period where you couldn't do that actually you know you could have been in any country <laughs> you know yeah. and the the same same would have happened but it's really made I think a lot of people think about well how do they interact with their customers and how can your services be different what more can you do online you know what I didn't see a lot of and some of the listeners might correct me you know but we can still give property advice by zoom you know, and have a one-to-one with your client, there's always a way that you can earn money. The gold is obviously being in that property and inspecting it, but there are different ways that you can diversify, you know, whether you get into training, whether you get into memberships, whether you get into consultancy online. It's recognising that the, the not just with technology, but with just the way that we work now, that you can pick up and work in different places and, and work differently, or at least for part of the time, and that gives you much more flexibility. And it's something that we'll see see a lot more of. You know, so here in the UK, we're having lots of local lockdowns. They're talking about this big what, second wave that's coming. You know, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, if surveyors and those industry have moved forward in terms of different ways of working and embrace them rather than just, you know, that sort of feast and famine of working really, really hard to get the money in and then having no money because there's no work, you know, and just mm-hmm. finding different ways to approach it. Yeah. And I don't feel like my standard has slipped because I'm online. My standard is always, if you are my client, 
I will walk to the end of the world to get you what you need in the most ethical way possible, right? So the minute you, you become a client at NC Real Estate, we take you under our wing and we'll come up with ideas. Now, I operate on the fact that my clients like to get into their property portfolio, so they like to do it. What I do is I give advice and direction on how to do that. That's that's mm-hmm. where I am and that's how my consultancy, my members club, all of the different programs that I offer work. But that's because I'm very good at looking at numbers, figures, whatever's going on and th- having us think about, okay, well, actually, how could you do that? Or what could you do to make that situation easier for yourself? So with that, I don't need to be on the ground. I don't need to see the properties. I need to know the numbers and the figures. And actually not getting into it and having that step back means that I can be very impartial in the way that I advise because I always like to be two steps ahead. So I like to think, Mm -hmm. oh, well, if you said this, what would the tenants say? You know, know, Natasha, that's your superpower. I often talk about surveyor's superpowers. And sometimes our superpowers isn't actually being in the building, doing the work and knowing the detail. Actually, you know, it's like me supporting surveyors. It's the same you supporting your, you know, your your landlords and investors. And when we recognise what we're good at and what we like to do, we enjoy it. And what's really notable is when you talk about your members club and your business, you are beaming. You know, when you talk about the the times when you struggled, you weren't. You know, I record Mm -hmm. these on Zoom so I can see. But I see that in other people as well. When you do what you love, it just feels a whole lot better, doesn't it, at the end of the day? Mm. And it's exciting and you have fun with it. Why why wouldn't we go to work to have fun seeing as work is now at home? (laughs) Well, look, Natasha, it's been really lovely catching up with you. Thank you very much for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it. You've been listening to the Surveyor Hub podcast. We'd love it if you leave a review and let us know how we're doing. And if you want to find out more about how we're making a difference, visit us at blueboxpartners.com.